You're listening to The RN Mentor, a podcast designed to document and bring you the work and experience of some of the most influential nurses in our profession. We will be sitting down and having a discussion with the leaders of today's nursing world as they share their work, how they navigate their nursing path, and their views on the future of the profession. My name is Ali Tayeb. I am a registered nurse, United States Navy veteran, a Jonas Veterans Healthcare Scholar, and your host for The RN Mentor. Thank you for joining us one more time uh, with the RN Mentor podcast. I am being joined by Dr. Tamarin Gray. Uh, she is a health services researcher at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and Brigham and Women's Hospital and an instructor in medicine at Harvard Medical School. Additionally, she holds a clinical administrative role in the DFCI division of stem cell transplantation and cellular therapies. Dr. Gray earned her BSN and MSN from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, master's in public health from Harvard, and a PhD from Johns Hopkins School of Nursing, where she was a Robert Wood Johnson's Foundation Future of Nursing Scholar. Dr. Gray also serves as the co-chair for the Caregivers Special Interest Group within the American Psychosocial Oncology Society, and co-chairs the Health Equity and Anti-Racism Special Interest Group within the Palliative Care Research Cooperative Group. Dr. Gray is a 2020 Academy Health Diversity Scholar, current Cambia Health Foundation Sojourn Scholar, and current Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Harold Amos uh, Medical Faculty Development Scholar. Her clinical expertise is in the pediatrics, hematology, oncology, and blood and marrow transplantation. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gray. Thank you so much, Ali. I am ecstatic to be here. Thank you for the kind introduction. It's really wonderful to be able to finally uh, connect with you. Uh, this it's great to uh, connect with you. We have been connected through social media for quite some time. I follow you on social media. That's uh, right. And I am familiar with some of your work. And by the way, uh, for our listeners, we have Dr. Gray's full bio, uh, which is uh, which goes into much more detail as to the incredible work that she does on my website. So if you visit the when you visit the website, you will see her full bio, and you can connect with her through there. Um, and you, I mean, just reading the brief version of your bio, I'm like, when do you do anything else? Because it feels like <laughs> you are so, and I, I read your full bio, I'm like, oh my God, when do you do anything else? So before we get into the details of everything you're doing now, uh, I want to get into uh, my, my initial first question with all my guests is how did you get started in the world of nursing? And that's a great question. Um, so you know, when thinking about nursing, it was not something that I knew, you know, automatically that I wanted to do when I was younger. Um, I actually had a, a, a mission to become a, an educator, uh, believe it or not. Um, and, you know, I think with the combination of loving math, uh, I loved calculus in high school. Um, I don't use those skills right now in nursing. <laughs> I also <laughs> love science, um, but I also love the arts, the humanities. So for me, mm. nursing was such a great blend. Um, you know, so personally, I'm a first generation college student. I have a twin sister and an older sister. And when we were growing up, our parents and grandparents spent a lot of time servicing the community. Uh, my grandparents will visit the sick and shut in. Uh, which are individuals who were sick at home and unable to really go out and do things. So my grandparents would go to them. Uh, my my parents would call and check on relatives, check on strangers, uh, just anyone in need. So um, I think intuitively it was, I knew my life's passion was always going to be about serving and helping others. Um, so for me, nursing was kind of a natural progression. Uh, I think what really solidified it for me was um, I, I, I'm an avid volleyball player, so when I was in high school, one of the uh, player's parents 
is a nurse and I gotten sick one day from a knee injury and she came out on the court and uh, she kind of uh, helped to make sure that I was okay. Um, and this particular individual, she is, was such a role model to me. Uh, she was a nurse practitioner and I asked if I can shadow her. Um, and growing up in North Carolina, I went to the local hospital where she was and she worked in the bone marrow transplant unit and she was as a nurse practitioner and she was also a bedside nurse on the critical care floor so i was able to kind of watch her and shadow her and i knew that between blending in all of the iv lines and uh patient education engaging with family but also knowing the pathophysiology and keeping up with the uh, latest clinical trials and transplant she just had the best career uh, so I think just having role models, parents, grandparents, and people who are willing to take me on really um, helped me to pursue nursing. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, now, you took your first steps, uh, and, and you mentioned you went to the University of North Carolina. Um, now, when you went into the world of nursing based on your influence and your between the a role model that you were looking at and your parents and grandparents with a sort of a, that were service minded, which is, which is awesome. Um, uh, now, how did you decide like which specialty area you're going to be working at and how did you decide you were going to go for uh, a higher level of education, like your master's and your, P well, you got your master's in, in public health and then you got your, you went back and got your PhD. How did you, uh, well, actually you have, a, you have an MSN and an MPH, so you have two masters. Uh, so how did you decide that that's the arena you were going to go into? Uh, so when I was at UNC and I was a nursing student, I um, was really drawn to oncology and bone marrow transplant, partly because of the, uh, the nursing mentor that I mentioned earlier, uh, but also having the fascination of knowing about current research clinical trials, uh, having a connection with patients and families, uh, these individuals would be in the hospital for months at a time. And, you know, as a nurse, being able to see them early in the morning at five o'clock and middle of the night drawing labs, you hear and you get to connect with them and learn about them in ways that many other uh, disciplines aren't able to. So for me, I was naturally drawn to oncology and transplant just because of the human human aspect of it, but also keeping up with innovative ways uh, to really help cure these individuals or at least give them a quality, a, a good quality of life. Um, and, you know, so that really sparked my interest in oncology and bone marrow transplant. Uh, typically, I will work with pediatric patients, and with that comes the families. Uh, so really engaging with the parents early on, letting them know about, um, you know, what's happening in terms of everyday uh, plans of care, uh, also what decisions mean for them in the context of their loved one. You know, just having really difficult conversations with them is something that I kind of grew um, in terms of getting better at over time because it's not easy having those conversations when you're a 21 year old new grad. Uh, but I also saw a lot of death and dying uh, mm. in those situations, which really led me to think about, you know, with the quality of life that remains, how do we make sure that patients and families have good memories uh, despite the challenges of this, you know, devastating diagnosis? Uh, so after that, uh, so I, I've been a nurse for uh, about 11 years, uh, but I've been in transplant longer, just in different roles as a uh, as a nursing assistant and uh, and such. You know, but after a while, I really enjoyed the one-on-one -on -one connections with patients and families. But I really wanted to think about how do I have a larger impact? How do I really think about meaningful ways? Uh, to answer the questions that I constantly had in clinical care. For example, I've seen, you know, patients of color die unnecessarily and preventively um, by something post-transplant related, where if, um, if she had been able to articulate and kind of share her concerns early on with the team, it probably would have been prevented. You know, so I thought about, you know, those scenarios. I thought about the families when I would administer chemotherapy right before a transplant. Uh, the first dose and the mom would stop me and say, wait, what am I doing? Should I be doing this to my small child? Um, so I had a lot of questions, just clinical questions, leaving 
uh, every day after work. So I decided to, um, you know, think about what this means in terms of my next steps. Uh, so with that, first I wanted to actually invite more uh, undergraduate students to learn about nursing. So that's how I got my master's in nursing education. Uh, my nurse manager used to joke and said that I will educate the families like all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, and probably probably the uh, the new nurses too, I'm not sure. Uh, but you know, I think just inspiring others to uh, to learn about nursing, to diversify the workforce, to have to be able to see me as a role model, uh, because the patients that we cared for had were coming from all different backgrounds. And I just saw that in nursing, we didn't have that to represent, uh, you know, the patients and families that we care for. So I think uh, that really inspired me to go and pursue the master's in education, where I was on faculty at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill for three years. I played a big role in helping to diversify the workforce through uh, different grant mechanisms where we wanted to expose uh, individuals across the state about nursing and about the different nurse scientists that are involved. Mind you, I wasn't a nurse scientist at that point, um, but I was just uh, a part of the team, which is, uh, which was an awesome opportunity. Um, and after that, you know, the, the burning desire to address certain questions that we were kind of seeing in oncology never left me. So I decided to uh, pursue a PhD at Johns Hopkins University where I received stellar research training um, and mentorship in the areas of, of family involvement and uh, decision making in the context of cancer. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, now, you mentioned you were in a role uh, that uh, was meant to diversify and educate the workforce as far as nursing goes. Uh, what, what was what did that work entail? Because I'm curious, because I always ask anybody who has had any kind of uh, hand in this arena, like, how did you do it? Uh, yeah. So... Yeah, so we so I was actually a co-investigator for a HRSA funded grant that focused specifically in uh, attracting individuals of color uh, into the nursing profession. Uh, so we were really targeting individuals who were of color, men in nursing, and other underrepresented groups. So they would come into the campus and uh, meet with the current faculty members, but also learn about the research that's happening, learn about nurses who are in practice, they would share their stories. Uh, we'd go over with them in terms of discussing their goals, uh, you know, in terms of, of what they may want to do career-wise and why nursing may be a good fit for them. And we also addressed any kind of traditional roadblocks that they would likely encounter, such as uh, sometimes exam grades are barriers to admission. So we helped advise them on ways to be able to be competitive for the application process. Now, were you uh, looking at just general population? Were you hitting like high schools or junior high schools? And some people say, you know, get them early and get them like in preschool sometimes, you know? Uh, so like, when do you, when do you get, when do you get to them? So it's uh, so it's a smoother transition. You know, I, I think this question may be a surprise, this answer may be a surprise to you, but I think it's important to target people at many different time points. Mm. And I say that because when I was an undergraduate at UNC, I led this initiative where we attracted uh, middle school students, um, and they were actually Girl Scouts, getting them exposed to nursing early on. Uh, it, was a, it was a day that they spent uh, on campus uh, at the School of Nursing and they had hands-on didactics, uh, videos, simulations. They were able to really get in there and see what it's like to be a nurse. Uh, and that was such a great opportunity for them. It's been a program that was, it was a program that's been around for several years. So I think peaking them early, even before high school is important. I think that reinforcement later on in high school and also undergraduate is also important as well as uh, students who are in community colleges. So it's not mm -hmm. just the undergraduates in typical four-year universities. It's also those who are transfer students or people who are kind of in between uh, degrees or people who are in community colleges. Yeah, 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 I, I agree. Uh, I, I was, you know, I always tell people that I think um, junior high school has always been sort of like the my go-to uh, because by high school, they're already selecting colleges or programs they're going to get into. And if, you, if they haven't had the exposure to the profession of nursing or they traditionally see 
uh, you know, what they see on TV and who represents nursing on TV. You know, it's not necessarily the diverse population we're looking to uh, have at one point in the profession. We're not a very diverse profession right now. But, um, and representation matters, and, and I 100% agree, but I like the idea of hitting them on multiple points in their, uh, in their, in their life or in their career. Um, so that's a great point. That's a great point. Thank you. Yeah, for I like to, I like to think that sometimes these, you know, these students may not have any other exposure. Uh, I think about myself. I was just fortunate to have be, to be surrounded by individuals who were willing to take a chance on me, to be willing to ask me the the hard questions in terms of what is it that you want to do? Do you want to come and shadow me? Do you you have any questions for me? And you know, I think just in general from a human, um, kind of a human side of things, it's important to recognize that any encounters you have with people, you want to bring your best self. You want to be a light to individuals. Uh, you never know what people are going through. You never know what their environment looks like and what exposures they've had. Right. Uh, so I definitely agree just kind of meeting people where they are at different time points. Yeah. And even with my own students, I use this, I always say this, I use the these podcasts with my students uh, and so many students uh, and I, I part of the assignment is that they write a reflective assignment, a reflective like one paragrapher, nothing too major. I don't grade them for grammar or APA or anything like that, even though sometimes they do APA. <laughs> uh, I think it's just embedded in them at that point. Uh, but I but what they do uh, is a lot of times they'll they'll share that, oh, I didn't know nurse, even though they've been in the nursing program for such a long time and they're about to graduate. They're like, I didn't know nursing did this or I didn't know uh, the, this person has this has had the same journey I've had and I didn't know I can do this. And so I think it's 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 important that even within within the schools that we continue to try to uh, develop them and and uh, and uh, show them the different pathways because nursing is so diverse as far as the things that we can do. There's yes. a diversity in the things we can do. Um, and I think the more uh, individuals we expose to individuals like yourself who are doing, who are nurse scientists and doing some incredible work, I think it's important. Well, even in, in thinking about the PhD, I, I know you asked kind of what inspired their PhD. And, and, you know, I think for me, it gives me such flexibility and um, an opportunity to be curious and to execute on, on questions that are commonly raised in the clinical areas. Uh, and being at uh, Johns Hopkins, I completed my PhD in three years. Now, remember I told you I was a first-generation college student and first-generation PhD student. So uh, I had no idea what a PhD was. I had no idea what that path would look like. Um, you know, but I think for me, the goal of that program, I was supported by the Robert Johnson Future Nursing Scholars Program. And the goal of that was to accelerate the number of uh, PhD prepared nurses across the country. Uh, fortunately for me, I worked very hard and uh, learning how to ask good questions and using my resources, I was able to um, uh, complete that PhD. Uh, but just that's a caveat to say that people have different journeys when it comes to PhD programs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had a professor I, I, in my PhD program, she always used to say, uh, you are exactly where you need to be in the program, right? You're exactly where you need to be. And I think that's that was such a, that was just su such sound advice um, because we have, we're, we, we do ourselves a disservice when we start comparing ourselves to other individuals that are on the same path, but at the different points, right? Uh, so absolutely. Um, so I, I mean, I think it's human of us to do that, but I think it's we also do ourselves a disservice when we do that because we're all at different points. So uh, I'm I'm in, I'm in agreement with that. Um, now uh, let's talk about your work now because you're doing uh, a lot of incredible things. So uh, let's talk about your your body of work now and. Uh, and then we'll we'll caveat into all your side gigs as chair and co-chair and <laughs> so what do you what kind of so that's not what you work right now and 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 uh, and the nursing component in that absolutely so um, so I am currently in Boston uh, and I am a faculty member at the medical school at Harvard Medical School and as you mentioned in the bio I also have. Uh, clinical responsibilities in terms of being a clinical nurse specialist in a, in a BMT, Bermuda Transplant. For me, the faculty position has provided numerous 
uh, opportunities. Uh, being able to learn how to become a leader in both palliative care research, particularly with family caregiving research. Um, and you know, I have, I'm leveraging all of the, the, my unique personal and professional networks and experiences to really look at this body of work. Um, so I would say my overall goal is to develop interventions to support family caregivers of people who are going through serious illnesses. I always uh, joke and say that if we don't learn to recognize and support family caregivers, we're going to end up with twice the number of patients uh, than we have now because we're not taking care of them. We're not seeing what they need. We're not oftentimes acknowledging them. Um, uh, so that's kind of my overall goal to really be able to find ways to better support them and integrate them into the healthcare system. And uh, so I have a, a couple of different research projects, but they all kind of have a common thread of thinking about those family caregivers in, who are most vulnerable. Uh, and that includes individuals who are taking care of uh, adults with advanced cancer, with incurable cancers. That's a really tough population because oftentimes these caregivers are more outpatient than they are inpatient because the patients aren't necessarily receiving care and being seen as frequently uh, when the goal is really just palliation and uh, end of life care. Um, and it, so, you know, that's a really unique population. I think as we um, consider those individuals, we want to help them with having tough conversations with loved ones. We wanna help them learn to assess and monitor symptoms better. Uh, we want them to feel equipped and prepared when they're at home and know when to call uh, for uh, different medical advice and support. The other types of populations that I'm caring for in my work right now is uh, really looking at uh, caregivers. I'm doing a, a large retrospective study uh, of caregivers of older adults. And uh, with this, particular study, I am looking to see how family members are involved with in the healthcare system when these patients are hospitalized. These are older adults with serious illnesses. And I'm looking to see, you know, are our, our notes about family members being documented? And do we have information about educating these family members before the patient gets discharged and goes home? Uh, also understanding is there uh, an association between family involvement and palliative care use in this population. Um, and then finally thinking about what well, we're documenting about these families in the healthcare system, is it having some sort of impact on readmission rates uh, and cost? Uh, so my, I'm at the beginning stages of this study, but we're using machine learning, uh, natural language processing and Medicare claims data to really understand all of the nuances um, and factors that's involved um, with certain outcomes. Um, and then finally, uh, one of my last uh, major uh, projects is really focusing on caregivers of people undergoing bone marrow transplantation. As I've shared earlier, this is really near and dear to my heart. These individuals for the transplant process, caregivers are, are often required um, because it's a journey that includes uh, complications, unexpected outcomes, um, symptom burden, as well as a financial uh, burden for these families. Um, so this is a really key target population of caregivers uh, to really help them understand uh, the transplant process and uh, feel prepared to take on quite a role that's often kind of a lifetime uh, role. That's incredible work. Um, now, as you're talking about this, I'm, I'm putting my educa educator hat on uh, and uh, how are we doing from your perspective um, from from a from a profession perspective uh, how are we doing in educating our nurses on how to interact with caregivers because so much emphasis is placed on the patients and clinical outcomes and nursing outcomes and stuff like that as you're as you're talking about all this and and my my uh, my time uh, on the clinical side and in academia, uh, we don't spend a whole lot, my perspective, we don't spend a whole lot of time around what the caregiver is saying, what they're doing, even though we are holistic and we're like, we, do, we wanna treat the whole family unit or the caregiver and the patient. Uh, how are we doing on the from the professional perspective? How are we doing on taking care of or interacting with the caregivers? 
Oh, that's such a great question. And I have so many thoughts. And I, so I'll just <laughs> lay it out first by saying, you know, we have over 50 million family caregivers right now. And that number is growing because of the pandemic, because right. people are, uh, you know, having ailments and diagnoses that they otherwise wouldn't have. Um, and so that number of caregivers is growing. There is a growing national interest in family caregivers through policy and through research. Um, and so I will point out that kind of prevalence. We're also seeing a shift in caregivers from not just being the baby boomers, but also uh, younger adult caregivers. Uh, one in four caregivers are part of the millennial generation. So mm -hmm. we're seeing that caregivers are becoming, uh, are getting younger and younger. And those needs are very unique from baby boomer caregivers who may be retired and already raised their children. Uh, so we're seeing kind of different needs, different demographics for caregivers, first of all. Um, the other thing I'll say is, as nurses, we we do really well with acknowledging the whole family as a whole in general. I think when you're starting out in nursing, it can be intimidating talking to the patient, let alone the family member, and let alone the family member being uh, very involved uh, in the care. That can be really intimidating for a new nurse. But I also want to point out that in these situations, you know, the family members are very stressed. They're stressed for a variety of reasons. Um, so I think we must remember that when we're taking care of patients and families and how they may communicate um, with us or how they may or may not uh, uh, kind of uh, remember certain information that we give them every day. Uh, you know, they're just overwhelmed and stressed. But I will say our profession does a good job acknowledging the family unit as a whole. I think there are things that are already ingrained in us, such as providing patient and family education. That's something that is often a mandate in many hospitals. Uh, that's a part of the nursing scope of practice. Um, I also think that when, we, when it comes to discharge planning, we do try to ask or involve other people outside of just the patient to make sure that they're prepared. Um, but I, I do think in general, family meetings in particular, um, are kind of challenging in, in, in an area that we need to continue to grow in as nurses. Uh, so family meetings are really just a gathering of uh, a patient's family who's really involved in care to really discuss the goals of care, preferences, the patient's wishes, um, and any concerns and challenges that the patient or the family has. These could be difficult conversations because they may, uh, they may be talking about you know, a change in regimen, or they may be talking about end of life care and what to do after that. Um, so it really does vary. But I think as nurses, we're with the patients 24 seven. So we have a good idea in terms of uh, what questions they may ask and reminding them to ask certain questions, bring it up in family meetings and rounds um, and reinforcing whether they heard the information that they receive in rounds or these family meetings. Uh, so I think in terms of educating nursing students, we could do a better job with kind of uh, assessing those skill sets in terms of how they communicate with family members. Uh, because at the end of the day, we want to make sure that the patient's health is, on, is, is going to be optimized. Uh, and although a lot of attention is on patient health outcomes, caregivers are the ones who play a big role when the rest of us are um, not in the picture when they're back at home. Uh, so although we do spend a lot of time with patient outcomes, we have to kind of think how the caregiver outcomes influences patient outcomes. Yeah, I, I agree. And as you're talking about this, like I know like one of the things that I've seen work uh, where the family has been really purposefully been brought into the conversations, like, like, I, like in the ICUs where they do interdisciplinary rounds, things like that, where they include family members. I know they're very effective, but things like that don't really exist as a norm in other units. You usually ICU something like that, but not in other, I mean, obviously with peds and stuff, you're going to <laughs> include yeah. the family. That's kind of the big part of it. But from an adult or even a GERO perspective, um, the, that though that inter that purposeful thing for me has a lot of times has been missing. And that's why I, ask the question, but I and, appreciate and just you. To, just to follow up with that. Um, so my clinical practice is primarily in pediatrics, but my research is in adults um, in terms of family caregivers of adults. And 
Honestly, I decided that that was a gap that I wanted to address because pediatrics often do things really well when it comes to integrating family. Quality of life is optimized. Um, And I think we can learn some things from the pediatric uh, literature and um, uh, pediatric a specialty when it comes to having those tough discussions and involving family members. Uh, and, and one other thing that I think as nurses we should remind our students about is that patients uh, live in a very social context. And these family caregivers, when they're living well and they're doing well in their role, they're contributing to that. Um, um, and, you know, I think for me, family caregivers need to be recognized, they need to be valued. And that's part of one of my major research studies seeing how are we seeing them in healthcare? Um, because the need to really retain caregivers is fierce, especially now in the midst of the COVID pandemic, not needing anyone else to be readmitted. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and they do contribute to not having those patients readmitted unexpectedly. Great, thank you for sharing that. Um, so I, I do wanna spend a little bit of time uh, talking about your all your side jobs uh, that you're probably, I don't know, you're probably not getting paid for to do this extra work. Uh, So, um, but you are doing, you're doing a lot of work uh, in leadership roles uh, with, uh, with a number of different organizations. Uh, What's, uh, what's the driver for you to get involved uh, with these other organizations and not just be a participating member or just being a member, but you're taking an active role in um, in steering the work that these uh, these uh, committees and these organizations are doing. What's the driver behind that? Uh, so uh, this is a great question as well. You know, I think for me, the driver is being able to find joy in what I'm doing and being mm. reminded that what I'm doing has a purpose uh, being focused on that uh, again, like you say, not comparing where I am with other people, because for me, it's really about the the patient and family. And when I keep that in the focus, I get rid of my imposter syndrome, at least temporarily, um, <laughs> because I recognize that, you know, this work isn't about me. It's about the patients and families who are ridiculously impacted by serious illness. So, you know, I think one of the drivers is loving what I'm doing. Um, and, and of course, being content where I am, but also having a vision for the way forward. Um, and, and I think when we think about leadership opportunities, I've had and, and do have currently great mentors who are helping me, you know, prioritize, you know, what is it that really is needed what you know what do i really want to be a part of so i you know i think recognizing you can't do it all but when you are involved in something from a leadership perspective you want to give your 100 percent effort um and you know i think the other thing when it comes to leadership opportunities in general you know as a as a researcher and as a leader i've learned to embrace failure and rejection because those are the things that show that you're still in the game. You know, like you're still being active. You're still being mission focused. And, you know, I learned from every type of failure, rejection, uh, feedback from those individuals. And just knowing that that doesn't, that's not who I am. That doesn't define me, but it, it helps me to kind of move forward and grow. And it helps me to be a better role model and mentor to those who are coming behind me. Um, and the other thing I'll, I'll, I will share is as a as a Cambia Sojourn Scholar, I'm learning about leadership uh, in palliative care. And, and I recognize that palliative care, which is a kind of a team-based specialty, which really focuses on uh, optimizing quality of life and reduce suffering for individuals across the uh, illness continuum, not just end of life. So helping uh, optimize quality of life for people from diagnosis to end of life care or survivorship. Um, and in this program, I'm learning that as a leader, I'm not always going to get it right, but I'm learning along the way and giving myself grace. Um, this is so I'll just briefly kind of go on a tangent for a second. When I first started as a nurse, I always had this mantra that said, um, I'm going to leave my shoes at the door. And what that means is when I when I started the first nine months of my career, one of my colleagues who started at the same time had a really bad accident, uh, 
after a night shift and she um she was really uh sick um she's okay thankfully now but that moment taught me that in the midst of the hustle and bustle with what we're doing we need to remember to just get to our destination safely get back home safely and then leave it there leave whatever challenges or stress that we have um, so as a leader, I kind of extend that same grace and reminder to myself. Uh, I, I do the best that I can with the time that I'm given. Um, so I think that's one thing that I try to keep in mind as a leader. Uh, and I also will recognize uh, that I am an extroverted introvert, uh, but I've learned to kind of see beyond my own kind of initial expectations of myself. Because again, when I keep the focus on my true mission, that helps me kind of branch out and think about these leadership opportunities that um, should be done, um, especially when I think about being a palliative care leader, where palliative care should not be a hidden gem. This should not be a secret. We should not have an underrepresentation of minorities in pa receiving palliative care. Access should not be uh, limited. Uh, so when I think beyond myself, it helps me as a leader. That's awesome. Uh, as you're, you, you mentioned, leaving your shoes at the door, I have a similar, I say leave your suitcase at the door because, or leave your baggage at the door, right? Uh, so uh, same concept, but yeah, I've never, uh, I never thought of it as a way of extending it to myself when I have my own shortcomings, uh, which is, uh, which is, which is, uh, which is very wise. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Well, and um, I emphasize that because research is such a long game and we it's a marathon, not a sprint. So um, and part of it is to learn We're the part of being a researcher is about being curious uh, and it's also about being patient. Um, and that comes with the research and with ourselves. That's great. Um, now, um, I, I've made a whole bunch of notes as we're talking now mentorship. Well, two things, mentorship, and then we're going to talk about your extroverted introversion. Because uh, I'm, I'm also I always say, tell people I'm, I'm a huge introvert, but I've learned to be an extrovert when I need to. Uh, but it is quite draining. After this uh, podcast, I'm going to go and take a nap, probably. Uh, so, uh, so, uh, but I want to talk about mentorship first. Um, how do you choose your mentors? Or do you? I do. I, I do choose my mentors. Sometimes they choose me. Um, so I, when I started this journey of nursing, even from the very beginning, I've recognized that I couldn't do this work by myself, um, that I will, could, that I could learn from so many others who have already come before me. And I learned to accept that there are people who are going to, who want the best for me. Um, so when I think about mentors, I think about people from diverse backgrounds racially, ethnically, age-wise, experience, discipline. You know, I think part of being a good researcher is to is to read widely, is to be bold, to think big, think differently. Um, and with that, those interactions with the different mentors, I'm pushing myself all along the way. So I, I, I do, uh, when I have a potential mentor, the mentors that I have now, they can they can attest that I've reached out to them, um, and I was uh, I was consistent and persistent um, because I knew that there were things in my skill set deck that I wanted to enhance, that I felt like that they had experiences um, to help enhance, uh, and I also realized in in choosing my mentors that they were focused on my success, um, they were focused on my growth. Uh, and they met me where I, where I am, even the ones who are outside of my discipline now. They uh, are really learning about nursing, learning about the value I bring, and I'm learning um, from them as well. And so I think when it comes to choosing mentors, you, have, you may be surprised sometimes um, in terms of who they are and who is in your corner. Uh, but it will take often take initiative on your part um, in doing your due diligence reading about them, sharing, communicating your needs uh, and why you're interested in working with them. Yeah, I think you, you hit a, on, on a great point of knowing where your own sort of knowledge gap is or experience gap is and seeking out individuals that could walk you through that process, uh, I think is, is extremely important because so many times, like I, I'll have somebody 
will reach out to me. And I talk about this to my students all the time is I'll have somebody that reaches out to me and says, would you be my mentor? And I'm always happy to, to step into that role, but I always ask them, what is, what is it you're looking to get out of this mentorship? Uh, and sometimes I lose them at that point and they never come back because they know they need a mentor. They just don't know why. And I, I always tell them, I shouldn't be the one that sets your agenda as to where you want to be in your career, right? Uh, I think that's something that they need to do some soul searching and come and say, this is what I need. I don't know. I just don't know how to get from A to B, right? That's right. Uh, because you could easily have mentors. Some of the best mentors, often the best mentors are really busy. And um, so what my mentors share with me, kind of the first time I meet them, all of them have really kind of said this in different ways is, you know, be prepared, send me the agenda ahead of time. Uh, sometimes we only have 30 minutes, so let's make it count. Yeah. Um, so I think just being uh, responsible in that way, in terms of taking the initiative, uh, you know, and seeking out a mentor is really important. Yeah. Definitely. And I appreciate you the fact, appreciate the fact that you mentioned uh, other disciplines, um, because I right now, I think it's the, it may even be the first time that I've had, I've had a mentor that is not in my discipline, uh, completely, a, completely a different discipline, but uh, what I needed the knowledge for is not necessarily discipline specific. Uh, and she has the knowledge that I need for what I need. So, uh, so yeah, so it's super important that we, we do have the ability to not just kind of put blinders on say nursing, 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 because nursing may not have uh, what we're looking for. So thank you for mentioning that. Well, um, and, and in my current circumstance, uh, so I mentioned I'm a faculty member at the Harvard Medical School because there is no nursing school uh, here on campus. So I've learned to really embrace and, you know, love my transdisciplinary mentors um, in this space. And I think that that has been a learning experience in terms of uh, communication and in terms of what it is that I bring, but it's also allowing me to physically have a, a place in an environment that wasn't necessarily built for nurses, that doesn't have a lot of nursing representation in terms of the sciences. But bringing in our value and our perspective in this work is so important. Uh, so trailblazing is not easy, but um, it's worth it because there's other people who are watching you and seeing that this is possible. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, how was it going into that environment, knowing that it is not specifically a school of nursing, right? School of nursing, you're like, you're working with nurses, your students are going to be nurses, but you're, you're, you're the outlier, uh, so <laughs> to say, right? So uh, how, how's the, how does, how does that work for you? You know, I think in general, you're right. Uh, there is uh, not, not too many of us here, but it's a growing number and we're doing fantastic, amazing work uh, that's being received by the university and uh, funding agencies alike. Uh, but you know, I would say surrounding myself with advocates of nurses. So mm. the mentors that I'm that I that I have now um, are going to be lifelong mentors. They are advocates for the profession, um, and they really are kind of embracing what it is that I want to accomplish. Um, so you know, it is. I think for me, it was a new opportunity uh, to really be bold, to really to be a leader, to really make a difference. Um, but it, it, there's intentional steps that I think are required. Um, just knowing your environment, knowing the mission, but also showing and, and dem demonstrating how you contribute to that mission. Yeah, I mean, you didn't accidentally fall into that role. Obviously, <laughs> uh, you you worked for it, and you you had the skill sets to step into that role. So, but it's it's uh, I appreciate the fact that you're in a different discipline that appreciates the work and the lens of nursing in that discipline in that discipline so i think that's key but it does you're right you do need to have the the skill set to also bring to the table and be a contributor not just be there because you're a nurse or because you're a scientist or whatever yeah. Uh, so I, so yeah so that skill set is definitely uh definitely important um uh, last thing i'm going to ask you uh, last thing I want to ask you is um, 
is your, uh, uh, because my students sometimes ask me when I share with the fact that I'm an introvert, mm -hmm. but I have learned to be an extrovert when I need to. Um, how was that transition for you? And how did you force yourself into that? Uh, because we needed, we needed to network, we needed to teach, we needed for a lot of things. Um, so how did you do that? And this may not be an easy question, but. So for me, I think that I've learned to embrace being more of an extrovert um, probably when I started nursing school. And I have an identical twin sister, and I think I may have mentioned that earlier. She's very outgoing. She's such a strong leader. And <laughs> when we were growing up, I could just hang out in her shadow. <laughs> But when I started nursing school and I had to interact with patients and families, I was like, oh, she's not here. I have to <laughs> step up. Um, and, you know, with the things I used to tell my students when I was teaching on faculty uh, at, the, at UNC was if you if I teach you nothing else, I want you to learn how to advocate for yourself and for your patients. And for me, that pretty much covers everything because you have to be bold. You have to ask the questions to the rest of the team. Uh, you have to make sure that patients and families feel supported. Um, so I think for me, I've made that transition starting in nursing school. So I have my clinicals to really support my clinical experiences to really uh, help me uh, in kind of moving that forward. Uh, I think the other thing is um, being really skilled at establishing relationships. I think nursing also taught me that too. Um, as I mentioned earlier, seeing patients when they're most vulnerable in different hours of the day and night where other people are, when other people are not there, you learn how to carry a conversation, you learn how to listen, listen very intently. Um, and you learn how in, in the midst of witnessing suffering and unexpected changes, all the time, you learn how to look at life a little bit differently. And that includes how you um, interact with others and the message that you're leaving behind just by your presence. Uh, so for me, those are the things that's really helped me kind of move past um, uh, being from just an introvert, but also moving towards being an extrovert. Great. Thank you so much. Um, uh... I, I lied about the last question. Uh, I'm going to say no, one please. more thing. Uh, uh, anything else you want to, I, I want to be cognizant of the time. Uh, anything else you want to share with us before uh, we say our, uh, we end this uh, podcast? Well, I think I'd like to first recognize the enormous impact that COVID has had on our profession and on patients' families. So I, I do want to mention that first. And then the other thing is I want to share a few um, tips and insights for for all of us, uh, for me to remember and for my colleagues and the students who are coming up behind us. You know, I think for me, COVID-19 has definitely heightened the importance of listening to one another, responding to each other, in addition to witnessing suffering and challenging situations. And never before have I seen this in such plain sight. You know, I think the, the disproportionate burden of the pandemic on minority communities and older adults um, and now young children and families have really illuminated the disparities um, in a very de de you know, devastating way. We have patients who would normally be discharged um, you know, to a skilled nursing facility or an assistant living going back home, um, opting to return home. Um, and that leaves many family caregivers with the um, enormous tasks and little preparation and resources to take care of these individuals. Um, and yeah, so I think just having people being discharged too soon or not going where they initially was recommended to go in terms of care facility and going back home, we need to continue to keep in the forefront of our minds you know, caregivers are also having enormous need as a midst of this pandemic. Also want to share with COVID-19, it has placed a lot of emphasis with the no visitor policy. It's placed a lot of emphasis on family caregivers, their presence and their absence. And what I mean by that is because they weren't able to be there, we saw what a true impact that they made just from you know, getting uh, water for the patient or helping to turn the patient. And when they're, they're not there, we're now seeing it. And I'm so glad that there are opportunities that's coming up from this 
a pandemic, like recognizing family caregivers, um, like recognizing the need for better care coordination, um, like recognizing the need to uh, really think about advanced care planning and goals of care and what it means to live life in a dignified way up until the end. So I, I do want to point that out. You know, I think in general, when we, you know, think about going, when people think about going into the profession, you know, I think it's, we have so many nursing programs now that's allowing direct entry and master's level entry and so many different um, education programs in nursing that, uh, you know, I think for faculty, we must learn to embrace the diversity and the, the different viewpoints that these students are bringing to our profession. And that means some have had previous careers that really, if we combine that with their newfound nursing knowledge, we're able to accelerate the profession, improve outcomes, uh, change and reform the healthcare system, inform policy. So I think embracing differences from our nursing students is so important. I also think that um, we should all see ourselves as leaders. And that doesn't mean wait until you have a title. That doesn't mean wait until someone tells you that you're a leader. It's, it's really about being a, a beacon for your colleagues, for being, um, you know, for being an advocate for your, for your patients. Um, you know, so I think those are some of the things that I wanted to highlight. I also uh, want to just emphasize that, you know, each person can make such a valuable difference in this world and just staying focused, uh, staying disciplined and learning to embrace where we are in this time when it comes to technology, using it to our advantage to reach uh, individuals who otherwise would be left out of the system, forgotten about because they can't physically get to a center. Um, I think being able to have a strong foundation in terms of when you're thinking about being a nurse, strong foundation in your sciences and your communication skills of being able to kind of think beyond that and seeing what is it that I would be happy doing in this profession? How can I make a difference in this profession? Great, thank you so much. Uh, all, all very good, good and sound advice. Uh, so thank you for sharing that. Thank you for share, so much for sharing your time with us. Uh, we have been listening to uh, Dr. Tamarin Gray and we look forward to seeing you uh, on, in our future episodes. Thank you and have a great rest of your day. You've been listening to the RN Mentor with your host, Ali Taya. Please don't forget to visit www.aliartayeb.com. That's www.aliartayeb.com for podcast notes and resources. And don't forget to subscribe. Until next time, I wish you fair winds and following seas.